everyone and welcome to Rad Chat, the multi-award winning first therapeutic rape for lead oncology podcast. Welcome to a bonus episode in collaboration with Prostate Cancer UK. My name is Jo McNamara and I'm joined by fellow host number Joel Anderson. Hi everyone. So we're pleased to introduce our guest Anthony Francis who will be discussing his experience of prostate cancer. So welcome so much Anthony to the podcast. We're honoured to have you join us this evening. Thank you both Joe and Naaman. It's a pleasure to be with you this evening. So if you don't mind, can you just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do for a living and what you like to do in your free time? Yeah, sure. So um, I took early retirement about five or six years ago. Prior to that, I used to be a project management professional, um, both in the private and in the public sectors. Uh, Since taking early retirement, I've now set up my own uh, coaching website called Think It, Plan It, Do It Now. I'm a, a mentor as well. And, also, and I'm also the author of the book, Think It, Plan It, Do It Now. Amazing. So we're very honoured to have you on. And uh, it sounds by the title of your book that I definitely need to invest in maybe some of your coaching. <laughs> so, Anthony, can you tell us a little bit about your experience um, of cancer, if you don't mind, and, and maybe how, how you came to be diagnosed? Yeah, sure. So I must be honest, in the early days, I wasn't that... Um, clued up on cancer uh, apart from the fact that obviously you always hear it mentioned in the news and it's always that c word that you don't want to hear uh, being associated with yourself so um, my journey was quite an unusual one in so far that um, I had a pain about four or five years ago I think about four years ago my groin area and I was a bit concerned so I went to see my local uh, doctor and my local doctor said, well, look, actually, uh, we, he did some, some in, uh, investigation, some examinations and said there doesn't appear to be anything wrong. I wasn't totally convinced with that, despite the fact that I went away uh, with his good wishes saying that, you know, everything's fine. I then asked to come back again a few weeks later because I was still concerned. He recognized that I had um, these concerns and referred me to my local hospital to get a scan. Upon getting the scan... Uh, the um, person who carried out the scan said, again, there was nothing untoward. They didn't see anything. But again, for some unknown reason, Joe, I I just kept persisting with this. And eventually my doctor referred me to a consultant um, to go and have a, uh, be checked out for, I don't think he was going to, I don't think he actually assumed I had prostate cancer, but just to go and check out what might be causing the problem. So I went to see the consultant. I had an MRI scan and the consultant said to me after I had after I had the results back that the government had changed the guidelines to what the PSA levels should be when you actually are referred to for treatment or whatever. And it happened to be that mine were in that category that, you know, a year before he probably wouldn't have seen me, but now he had seen me. And the result of the results came back and it did actually confirm uh, to him that I had prostate cancer, albeit with a very low level of prostate cancer and it was localized. And I was I was told that about 20 percent of men had this condition and it never actually um, materialized into doing anything. Most most men led a normal life. So that was my first um, um, throwaway, for want of a better word, or, you know, insight into prostate cancer and being diagnosed with it. And I'll be honest, I didn't really come home thinking, crikey, I've got prostate cancer. I, I, I didn't it didn't really hit me what was going on until I spoke to my wife, did some research and then sort of recognised what the condition and and how serious it could have been or could be. Anthony, 
Did you know about prostate cancer before being diagnosed? Because I often find when I talk to people who diagnosed with prostate cancer, they didn't even necessarily know from an anatomical perspective what the prostate was or what it was for. Again, Joe, I've got to be honest, I had no idea what prostate cancer was. Um, it wasn't on my radar, despite the fact that now I know that um, people of ethnic minority are one in four have a one in four chance of actually um, getting prostate cancer and that figure goes up to one in three if you've got a, a, a sibling or, or a parent who has had it. So for me I was completely clueless about prostate cancer um, despite the fact that I come from a community where you know we should know more. I think it's perhaps because in the in the black community or in the ethnic minority community we're always told about heart attacks and strokes and diabetes probably because of the you know the um the food that we eat the high salt things like that but it was never i was never um spoken to either by my gp or made any you know i have annual checkups there was never any any sort of suggestion actually anthony you should get a, a psa test for prostate cancer um, i've had cholesterol tests blood tests but nothing for prostate cancer has anyone in your family ever had anything related to cancer well, it's funny you should say that, Naaman, because yes, it, only after my father, sorry, only after I got diagnosed and I was, I've was i um, been my father's carer for a number of years now. And during um, the time when my wife was looking at his medication um, docket list, she noticed that um, within that docket list, there was medication that's normally associated with prostate cancer. So I asked my, my dad, I said, Dad, you know, did you remember having anything to do with prostate cancer? And he said to me, um, he did about 30 years ago. Um, my father um, sadly just recently passed away. And when I was talking to him about this condition, he was 99 then. He, he, was four, he passed away sadly four days short of his 100th birthday. But so therefore, he obviously must have had this in his 70s, but didn't think it was something that he needed to sort of tell me. Perhaps he was as ignorant about how serious of a condition it was as, as I was. So he, he, had, he probably had some concerns, had some issues about his own um, um, uh, sort of waterworks issues, got it treated, but never actually thought to tell me that, oh, by the way, you should, be, you should go and get checked up at a certain age or just be aware of it. Sorry to hear about your dad, Anthony. And obviously, you know, the fact that maybe he didn't disclose that he'd been diagnosed with cancer also reiterates the point that you've made that people don't necessarily disclose they don't have open conversations about it um, and and obviously from that perspective it kind of highlights the need for lots of promotion lots of conversations to maybe ensure that people recognize what what their chances are of, of developing prostate cancer well i think you're entirely right and i think one of the big concerns i found is that you do see lots of promotion for women's um, health concerns like breast cancer and other sort of cancers related to women or certainly medical issues for women. But very rarely do you see any sort of promotion or campaigns for men in particular for prostate cancer. So the only time it's ever really come to light recently is when you hear of a celebrity or somebody recently in the news. I think Bill Turnbull was the BBC presenter who had prostate cancer and then that was you know, it became a sort of national story and obviously men then got checked. But the, I think the real issue is that there isn't any real information, um, not from Prostate Cancer UK, but in terms of promotion, when you go to your GP, when you look in the newspapers, 
which I suppose is the reason why men don't talk about it. Because if, if it's not something that's in the public domain and is, is newsworthy or in the media or something which is highlighted as a concern, then it's highly unlikely men are going to discuss it. Yeah, and I suppose as well, when you talk about PSA tests, so prostate-specific antigen tests, you know, you can actually ask your GP for these tests now. And I think, again, sometimes it's about patient advocacy. You know, if you didn't know that, you wouldn't necessarily know that when you go for a regular checkup or that you go with maybe some symptoms, that that is a, a genuine request that you can ask. Well, you're right. And I think the, the concern I have is that I obviously I'm now um, 61. So I've been having annual checkups at my GP for a number of years. And the only thing that's ever been highlighted that they should check was my cholesterol. It wasn't my PSA level. So really, there is a there is a, a an onus on the healthcare professional to sort of rec recognise that I may be at risk by my ethnicity and my age, and to be recommending to me because it's highly unlikely, uh, me not being medical, that I would have any awareness that prostate cancer was so prevalent in the ethnic minority community, and that I may be at high risk. So, I personally think it's down to a lack of general awareness in the media promoting health issues towards men which results in men not really talking about not talking amongst themselves when they have any conditions which causes this sort of I wouldn't call it ignorance but lack of awareness. So apart from us as healthcare professionals obviously improving our awareness how can we as men broach these topics more and open up the conversation between us? Well, I think here's the, here's the problem. I think, you know, the, the elephant in the room is that men are quite happy to talk about football, to talk about um, sort of sports related issues and things like that. And to a certain degree, even talk about, um, you know, the, the, what they've seen on TV in terms of uh, sports or anything like that. But when it comes to being vulnerable about themselves and opening up about any health concerns they have, this is where I think there's a big red flag for men. I think it's I think it's something that they feel um, uh, is an issue about their masculinity. I think it's something they don't want to highlight because they feel uh, vulnerable to show weakness. And so therefore, what they're perhaps more inclined to do is to say, oh, it's nothing, I'll do it later. But they never actually follow up with the, with the later. And as a consequence, by the time they do um, go and see their GP for whatever the condition is, it might likely to be too late. So for me, the big issue is that men... Um, for whatever reason, I, I personally put it down to the fact that we're not encouraged to talk about um, these, these issues. You know, we are, we're always portrayed as being Superman, Iron Man. Whenever portrayed as being um, a vulnerable man who can who has issues the same way that women might talk amongst their girlfriends, their partners, you know, their their groups, and will open up about any sort of health concern issues that they may have. Do you think there's also an element that from a, a male healthcare professional side that there might be that hesitancy to ask another man how they're feeling or something deep for that? Well, I, I, I don't think necessarily there's a, a, an issue for the healthcare professional because that's their job. So for me, you know, if I come to them and they see that I'm a, a black man who's at a particular age, um, then for me, they should be sort of when they do their annual checks, if someone's going to them for a, an annual check, um, or just actually coming to see them for something unrelated, I think there is an onus on them to sort of just say, oh, by the way, I've noticed that, you know, you haven't had a PSA test, or I've noticed that 
this or I've noticed that. I think it's incumbent on them as the healthcare professional to advise us when they, you know, when we happen to go and visit their, their surgeries, because that's the only time they probably are likely to see us when we go in there because we're not feeling too great. And if, you know, or, or at least have some material in the vicinity of the surgery directing um, men to, you know, talk about certain issues or pick up a leaflet on XYZ. But again, in my surgery, there was nothing about prostate cancer. There's, and there's, there was no men groups to go and talk to. There's no awareness, um, you know, like that. So I think it's a bit of, a, I think it's 50-50. The healthcare professional has to be proactive. But I think also if there was, if there was information in the media to encourage men to talk about these things, then maybe that would also be a catalyst for men to go and take action. Anthony, you're obviously diagnosed. What what was the next bit of the pathway that you went through? So once I was diagnosed, what the consultant explained to me was due to my um, localised condition and the low level of, um, of the disease that I had, he suggested that my next course of action would be to go on something called active surveillance. Um, now, I'd never heard of active surveillance before, probably because obviously it wasn't something in a pathway of a, of a health care condition I would normally come across. So I wasn't aware what this was. So he explained that the nature of active surveillance and that I would be regularly monitored and, and would be contacted to have a, um, a blood test to monitor my PSA levels to ensure that nothing untoward took place and that if something did take place, they would be able to um, be notified soon or sooner and be able to advise what, what sort of action I could take. I think you've said before, outside of this episode, that your wife is a, was a urology nurse. Has that helped with how you processed all of this as well? Um, yeah, my wife uh, was a urology nurse, and um, when we did speak about this, uh, probably because she didn't either want to scare me or to worry me, when we spoke about the condition and when it was when I was diagnosed, she didn't automatically sort of say, "Oh my God, you know, you you know, you've got a problem," uh, which would have obviously then put a lot of fear into me. She was quite um, matter of fact. We discussed it. We looked at what the PSA levels meant in terms of the, the severity, uh, where I was on the scale. We could, you know, she explained that I was at a very low level as per what the consultant said. You know, straight away once you leave that sort of consultation and you come home, you know, you, you suddenly become a good friend of Google to try and find out, you know, what's available, what's what, and what some of these things are that you're now hearing for the first time, PSAs, um, Gleason scores, um, you know, and things like this. These were all new to me, so I was quickly doing my research. And I think, you know, similar to what the consultant was, she didn't cause, she didn't suddenly say, you know, you've got a problem, you need to do X, Y, Z. She simply um, mentioned that uh, what the consultant said about the active surveillance and the low level, and just simply to monitor it and see how things went. Actually, how did you find going through active surveillance? Because I appreciate that you know, some people who are diagnosed with prostate cancer are given options. And sometimes for some people, active surveillance is scary. Um, you know, it's not an option that they would like. They're like, well, if you know I've got cancer, get rid of it. Um, you know, what, what made you kind of feel comforted that active surveillance was the right choice for you? 
Well, I think there's two parts to this question, Joe. The first one is when you're ignorant about something and you've been told that you don't really have a, a, a serious problem and words like, I wouldn't even have seen you, um, you know, if it wasn't for the government changing the guidelines and that only 20% of men actually have this condition and it's unlikely that it will develop into anything further. Those reassuring words really meant that I didn't leave that consultation feeling that I had a problem. So I, I, I felt that the active surveillance option, once I understood what it was they were doing in terms of monitoring, I was quite comfortable with it. And also, if I'm really honest, Joe, I, I didn't really give much um, I didn't really give much credence to the fact that I might be seriously ill because the doctor, the consultant didn't say that I was. He didn't say, oh my gosh, you need you know, a treatment now, you need this. He said, the condition is low, we'll monitor it. You know, most, most men nothing happens to. So I think those reassuring words uh, gave me some sort of comfort that I wasn't really in any danger. So I was quite happy to wait for the letters to come through and, and the texts and emails to say I had appointments and had to go and get my PSA test, uh, tested. And I didn't in any way feel anxious, if I'm really honest. I didn't think, oh gosh, I've got another PSA test. You know, what would the result be? I, I didn't. I, I was quite calm about it and matter-of-factly went to the appointments and got on with my life. And have you had any further treatment since the act of surveillance? Well, yes. Um, uh, I'm not sure if I should say sadly or 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 or, or positively. Uh, I did actually. The consultant, after I had some, during the during my time under active surveillance, I had to undergo uh, two biopsies, and it was after the second biopsy that uh, the consultant notified me that there were some of the cells, uh, about 25% of the cells that they had um, uh, taken some samples from. Uh, were moving to a different level of Gleason score and he felt that it was appropriate to sort of make me aware there were options available to me um, if I wanted to undertake them or consider them over and above active surveillance. Uh, so the options were uh, brachytherapy, um, I think it was chemotherapy, not radiotherapy, I'm, I'm not sure if it was either cramp not sure if it was chemotherapy or radiotherapy and there was also I think one which was an injection um, that you could take uh, so, I'm, so I'm not sure which so I'm not sure which which of the, the four that that was mentioned but it's, it's, I was given those choices the chemo the radio either, the, either the, the injection and the brachytherapy so they were all explained to me in detail at the time and I think because the consultant explained that the prostate cancer I had was was very localized and very small I would be an ideal candidate for this um, procedure called brachytherapy because it was a procedure you only had to have once and that the success rate was above I think he said above 90% or 95% success rate with this particular procedure so I took away the information did some more research onto what it was spoke to my wife my wife happened to know um, one of her colleagues who worked at the hospital in London where they carried out the procedure and told her that it was a very common procedure and with good success rates and I just felt given my age um, and to avoid the uncertainty of going back 
six months later or a year later to find that things had changed. It, it just seemed to me a, a sensible thing to, 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 to take and do, which is what I went ahead and had done. Can you talk us through brachytherapy? Because I'm thinking for anyone listening who maybe is informed about brachytherapy may shudder at the thought of maybe what some of the images, even if you just saw an image of brachytherapy, I would imagine it might bring tears to the eyes or make people wince a little bit. But um, from your perspective, can you talk us through what happened, what the procedure was like? Yeah, sure. So with brachytherapy, um, the reason why I was also quite keen to go ahead with this particular procedure was what it was explained to me was that they do an image, a real-time image of your prostate when they carry out the procedure. And when they do this real-time image, it then allows them to pinpoint exactly where the cancer is in the prostate. And then by use of inserting what they call some um, radioactive pellets, they can insert these pellets into your prostate around the area where the, where the disease is. And you know that then gives it the best possible chance to, um, to kill off all of the associated disease without actually um, um, causing any other problems to any other organs around in, in the body. So I think for me, when I realized that this level of detail uh, and accuracy in terms of the procedure was available, it, again, it gave me more reassurance that this was the right option to go through. But in terms of what the procedure, the actual procedure, you're right. If you were to look at it online, it would probably make you wince in terms of what you have to go through. But thankfully, it's under a general anaesthetic, so you're not actually awake at the time anyway. Um, but it is uh, a, a procedure that does require um, uh, in, uh, pellets to be inserted directly into your prostate in order for the radioactive pill, um, pellets to be placed around the area for the um, uh, disease to be killed off. What side effects did you get from that treatment? The known side effects that you could have is you could um, have some problems with your waterworks afterwards. Um, I, do un I do believe that you could also maybe have some issues with um, any sort of sexual activity that you may undertake. And uh, I do understand that there is possibly a, a, a very small risk of um, possibly some incontinence issues as well. Um, but, you know, I, I think those are the sort of risks that you sort of weigh up, you know, when you're thinking about these sorts of procedures. And the risks were very small. And I was also, as I mentioned, comforted by the fact that the procedure was um, in real time. So unlike maybe... Um, radiotherapy where you you know you've got a beam to sort of being positioned on you anywhere to try and get to that particular organ in this case you know there's a, an image real time with with a with the um, medical staff looking while they carry out the procedure so the risks of you having any of these um, problems are are small but like anything you know it is a risk that you have to factor in Anthony, how's your quality of life now that you, you've kind of undergone all of that treatment? Well, thankfully for me, Joe, I mean, I haven't had any side effects at all, apart from one small little side effect. Well, if you can call it a side effect, probably more of a, a fun fact. I had to carry around or, or I've been having to carry around a, um, a card that actually says that I've, um, I'm radioactive. Um, so if you go through things like 
um, airport machines or anything like that, it's likely to actually set the uh, the alarm off. It, I mean, that's the only that's that's the only um, uh, downside in terms of my own um, general health since the procedure. Uh, it's been very good. I mean, my um, I think I went to see my consultant about three months after the procedure, and my PSA level had had dropped down to I think was one. Uh, which meant that he said to me, I no longer need to see you. And in fact, he said to me, I'd come to see him too early. I should have, I should have come to see him after six months. And uh, so I'm, I've got my next appointment uh, next month, funnily enough, uh, and w in, in which time he actually expects that the, my level will reduce down to zero. My PSA level will, will have reduced down to more or less zero. And it, as I say, it's currently at one coming down from where it was before, which was um, a lot higher than that. And I suppose we should plug the fact that this episode is being kindly sponsored by Prostate Cancer UK. Why do you work with Prostate Cancer UK? Well, I work with Prostate Cancer UK primarily because they are very proactive in trying to provide support, care and um, research, not just for men, but also for the ethnic minority um, community as well. You know, they do have a forum, which I'm part of where they do listen to some of the, um, the concerns that especially black men do have around prostate cancer. And what they try and do is they listen to those concerns and produce leaflets or information that might be relevant to their communities. And I think an organisation like that deserves to get as much support as possible, especially from someone like me who's benefited from the procedure which probably has been funded in part by companies like Prostate Cancer USA uh, in terms of their research funding that they get through their um, uh, their uh, fundraising activities. And it's just the fact that they are, you know, they really do seem to me to care about the condition and to be proactive in raising awareness in Parliament. And, you know, all, all events that I've been to, they go the extra mile. I've been to an event in South East London where they had a representative there supporting the uh, the speaker, etc. So for me, I want to try and do my best to give back as much as I can to Prostate Cancer UK, but also in doing so, create awareness for all men who are unaware of this particular disease and to enable them to be treated or be seen or to do a test so at least they can eliminate uh, the, the, the concern they may have of, of being um, susceptible to this disease. Anthony, how do you now use your own voice within your own community to kind of raise the profile of prostate cancer? Well, I actually uh, do one or two things. So I, whenever I go out, believe it or not, I actually, um, you can get from Prostate Cancer UK some free um, uh, cards. They're like, they're about the size of a, of a credit card and they're information packs. And what they do is they explain what prostate cancer is, the risks, etc., for men and black men in particular. So I actually carry these um, cards with me whenever I go out. And whenever I meet um, any man, uh, in particular black men, I actually um, uh, stop them and actually say to them, look, you know, let me give you one of these cards, one of these information leaflets, so that you can be aware of prostate cancer. And I haven't had since my condition and since I've been doing this, I haven't had any man who has not taken the, the, the information and then hasn't suddenly had a side conversation to me, with me to say either they were aware or it's something they're looking into, they haven't got around to, 
or being grateful for me actually giving them the uh, the, the information. So I, I do that on a regular basis. Um, I've attended the March for uh, Prostate Cancer uh, this, this March, a few months ago. And I also um, give talks on, on prostate cancer um, uh, to organisations to try and create awareness around the disease for men. When you talk about the awareness with obviously your community, there are other communities that can be affected by cancer. Do you find that there's still a lot of stigma uh, around cancer or things like that? Well, I think there's a stigma around any sort of cancer just by the very nature of the fact that once you're diagnosed with it, um, most it, it has this connotation of being a death sentence. So I think anyone who hears those words, whether or not you're male or female, black or white, I don't think anyone can not be concerned when they hear those words simply because of the way that it's advertised in the media. If you get prostate, if you get cancer, you know, it's always it's always promoted as being a, a bad news story um, when, you know, if you're diagnosed or you get it. So so I don't I, I don't really feel there's an issue with the, the term cancer within the communities. It's just it's just being aware of what type of cancers potentially you might be affected by as either as a man or a woman. And as I say, for women, there is the regular screening for breast cancer, which is out there, but there isn't any regular screening for men for prostate cancer, which is something I um, am also trying to champion to get uh, the government to change or to consider a national screening programme for men for prostate cancer. Do you think there's a place for education within schools? Well, I do think that um, Within the education system, obviously, they, my daughter happens to be a teacher anyway, and I do know how stretched they are in terms of giving out information on all sorts of topics. But I do think there should be some leafleting or some maybe awareness that uh, on certain conditions, you know, for women as well, like, like make sure you have your breast cancer screen. And if you're a woman, make sure if you're a man, you have, you know, this sort of um, ask these questions for a man. Maybe they, when you get to maybe into secondary school, there could be, you know, when children go into different classes or they're maybe talking around, um, I don't know if the, if the subjects are called biology anymore, like when I was at school, but that maybe there should be some reference to those sorts of things. Or alternatively, maybe the schools could just simply produce a very standard A to Z um, information pack that talks about uh, medical conditions and your risk. I know it's a generalised one because, you know, I know, for example, the black community also are affected by a condition called lupus. So there's a there's a number of conditions that, you know, what you, what you don't want to be have happen is that people say, well, why isn't my condition on there? Why isn't this particular one mentioned? So I think the schools are damned if they do and damned if they don't. So for me, yes, it simply might be a, an awareness about health concerns in general and to, and to ask their parents to always make sure they're getting... Um, tested and to sort of ask questions about their own health and be a bit more proactive. Maybe they can encourage that type of conversation rather than specific about cancers. Definitely agree with you, Anthony, as well. Sometimes, you know, starting those conversations at home are so vitally important. And thinking about you and your dad, you know, if if you'd have known that your dad had prostate cancer, would that have meant that actually you were more aware of it? You know, you'd have sort out well, what is the prostate you know why am i in an increased risk if you hadn't necessarily even known that 
even doing a simple Google search would have helped, wouldn't it? And do you think that kind of if those conversations had happened, it is something that you'd have been more aware of? Oh, most definitely. I mean, the same way like now, my son is now very much aware. Obviously, he's aware that his father's had it. He's aware that his grandfather has had it. So I said to him, it's likely, um, in all probability, that he will probably get it, or at least he should be aware that he will be at a high risk. So, you know, he's now aware that maybe once he gets to sort of um, a sort of certain age, right, you know, maybe sort of middle, late 40s, to actually sort of say to his GP, look, you know, my father had this condition. Um, I'd like to have a PSA blood test just to make sure that I'm not at risk. Um, I think the other thing to mention, Joe, especially for black men, I don't know about men in general, but certainly in the black community, one of the concerns they have is around the examination um, when you go to a GP. Most men, certainly black men, do not like the fact that they have the examination involves the um, doctor putting their um, finger up their bum. And this is some this is just a no go area for black men. And, you know, it's a it's it, they certainly will not tell you that they've had this procedure done if it involves saying that they've had that. So I think there's a little bit around getting rid of the myth around, you know, this 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 procedure and, you know, having, you know, the, the what the examination involves, because all all the examination is doing is to try and find out if your prostate is enlarged. Um, but it's educating the black community and black men to sort of drop their guard around, you know, I'm a man and I'm a black man and all, and all the sort of connotations that go with with that. Thank you for sharing that, Anthony. I think that's exactly what this episode is highlighting around those cultural differences. Um, I think irrespective, I would imagine that a lot of men might might feel similarly that actually and something that is an invasive um, procedure could potentially be something that people worry about. I think for, you know, any people going through a GP intervention or a GP diagnostic test can can really empathize with that it can be really nerve-wracking you don't know what to expect is it going to hurt you know those are valid concerns that I think it's it's really important to address to hopefully ensure that people don't put it off because they know that that's typically something that's going to happen I suppose from a healthcare professional's perspective of any patients kind of listening we absolutely you know when I was a student I was always surprised how quickly I became very blasé about the human body. I still remember the first time I saw, um, you know, a patient naked and I was a bit like, oh, gosh, you know, I didn't realise that they'd they'd have to expose so much of their body. And I think probably after the first day, it became routine and I didn't even like bat an eyelid about it. Um, It was very rare that anything would shock or surprise me. so I think, you know, to reassure people, you know, we've absolutely seen everything. Um, <laughs> you know, it isn't something that you should ever be embarrassed about um, at all to go and get that procedure, especially if it does save your life. And obviously, you know, the quicker and earlier that we're able to diagnose a cancer, hopefully that will mean that the treatment will also be less invasive um, and hopefully you wouldn't have to have so much treatment um, over an extended period of time. So hopefully it kind of benefits people in the long run as well. And um, one of the points you made, Anthony, just about kind of age ranges. So 
from the age of 50, men can request um, a PSA test from their GP. However, if you're over the age of 45 as a black man, you're able to request a bit more assertively um, and hopefully your healthcare professional should be able to be amenable to that. If they're not, my suggestion would be to get another GP or go and ask somewhere else because, um, you know, anyone who is well informed knows that it's an important way to help diagnose um, prostate cancer. Thank you. Yeah, I think the other thing I think I've been told by my GP was that there's a cost element for referring the PSA test. And that's and also given that there is a concern that the results don't always indicate that you have prostate cancer, they're less likely to want to refer you to have it because it can give misleading results, um, which is the reason why I'm quite keen to push for men to have a national screening program, um, which would obviously allow the results to be more conclusive and to avoid this sort of mis um, misunderstanding or miscommunication or, or, or misdiagnosis, for want of a better word, and avoid the need to have any evasive treatment if, not, if, it's, not, if it's not necessary. Can I ask, Anthony, with the advocacy work around the screening programme, what is the feedback you've had from people? To be honest, um, because most people don't realise what a screening programme is, um, they're happy to, to sign, but they're signing out of the fact that I've sent them some information saying, please, can you sign this? This is to try and get men on a prostate cancer screening programme. So I think for the uneducated, and I say that with all due respect to men who aren't aware of what prostate cancer is, but to the uneducated, they probably aren't aware what the screening program entails or what the significance of it is. If a woman was to say this to another woman, that there was a screening program for a particular condition, they would completely understand because they're used to hearing the word breast cancer screening. So they would perhaps be more inclined to say, oh yes, I'll support that because I'm aware of the importance or how much it could help if it was in place for you know children mums black white whoever it was for that you're sending a campaign for but i think for us men you know my campaign i've got a a, a, a just giving campaign um it, i think in the main most people who have signed it are the converted they're aware of the condition and they simply are supporting it um most other people aren't really aware of, of what a national screening program is for prostate cancer. Does any other country in the world have a prostate screening program? That's a very good question and one that I can't answer. Um, I don't know is to, is to really be honest with you. I do know that um, this a national screening program has been um, recommended by Prostate Cancer UK before. They have, they have tried to get one going and I think some GPs who are very proactive have seen the need for a, a, a screening programme. But I think when it has been raised in the past, the issue has been the reliability of the, um, the blood tests initially to justify having the screening programme. So I, 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 think it's, I think more research has been needed, which I think prostate cancer has been doing, and more results to confirm what the benefits would be if men had a screening program against against not, and I think the results, from what I understand, are very are very similar to the results that women have for breast cancer screening, in that it does uh, play a very important um, tool in um, making sure that men are diagnosed sooner and therefore can have um, procedures that will enable them to live their lives normally 
without uh, without the risk of um, being caught late and then having to die from it. But I think again, sometimes it's around not not sticking to a standard mode of screening, a standard mode of care, because as you've stated, you know, black men are more likely to develop prostate cancer. So actually, should we be pushing for a screening um, specifically for black men? Um, you know, I think it's a really important discussion to have. And it's great that Prostate Cancer UK are taking that on um, and taking that forward on behalf of all people with a prostate um, to ensure that obviously they're, they're receiving the right care. Anthony, it's honestly, it's been amazing to have you on. Um, what what would you want to say to any person out there with a prostate um, about kind of checking themselves, signs and symptoms? What advice would you give? My advice would be um, threefold. The first one would be to be proactive if you're over 45 and you're a man to actually um, go to your GP and ask for a PSA blood test. Um, the second thing I would say is for all men, um, if they have access to a PC, to go to the Prostate Cancer UK's website and take their prostate cancer uh, test, which will take about 30 seconds to determine whether or not you are at high risk or not. And the third one, I would suggest that men drop their um, macho image around um, talking about um, vulnerability and just be more open about themselves and about concerns they may have in order to create more um, conversation around these sorts of topics so that there is less ignorance and uh, allowing people to be more aware so that it takes away the sort of um, the mystique around things like going to have a prostate cancer examination, tests and the like. So that, that they would be the sort of three things I would, I would sort of give as takeaways uh, for men to do. Okay, so a huge thank you again to our guest, Anthony Francis. Thank you all for listening to Rad Chat. Your hosts today have been myself, Jay McNamara, and Norman Jolka Anderson. If you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with links to resources and literature that we've discussed. To receive your accredited CPD certificate, please complete the Google form linked with the podcast. Thank you all for listening and take care.